0: God, you are mighty and holy is your name. God, this morning we come before you, Lord, hoping that all the cares of this world will disappear, Father, knowing that if we trust in you, that you will take away the worries of our lives. Father, we tend to worry about things that are outside of our control. We tend to worry about things that we have no business worrying about, Father. Lord, so we pray this morning that we would not do that. Lord, that we pray this morning that all of our struggles and all of our problems, that we would honestly take to you, not just sort of in the churchy way where we sit there and just sort of pretend that we do it, but in fact, with all of our hearts and all of our will, that we put it in front of you. So we're just going to take a moment right now, God, each of us individually to go to you, Ask for forgiveness for anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Let's just do that right now. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and as we come to you this morning... God, may you give us hope. May you restore us to yourself. May you bring about recovery in our lives. We talk about this in our final part of our series. Father, may we all leave energized. Father, may we all leave committed and trusting in you and you alone. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name.
1: oh not too bad um it was good practice what are you doing uh going through our finances i'm not sure but it seems that we may be in a little bit of a pickle dick well sure our our financial bounce back has taken a little bit longer than expected but you know that's natural our lawn was repossessed today i didn't even know they could do that now, I'm, I think that maybe it's time that you should start thinking about accepting something a little bit lower than a vice presidency. No, took me 15 years to get a VP ship. If I step back now, I'll lose everything I work for. We're just gonna have to suck it up for a couple of months. In a couple of months, we'll be declaring bankruptcy. Oh, come on. Our, our savings, look, our savings was in globinine stock. Jesus, and look, our pension was in Globidine stock. Oh. Everything was in Globodine's stock. Mama, the lawn oh, of... law is covered with dirt. It is so much fun. I have me a boy man. Now, Billy is looking at the glass half full. Hun, relax. We've got 600 grand. G- where? We're standing in it, our house. Since globodine, the local property market crashed, Dick. If we sold our house today, we would actually owe the bank 150 grand. I knew it. It was churning in my gut and I didn't listen. So it would be okay. Right. You know? You said that we could afford this. I house know what I said? We could take out a I second mortgage said. so that we could we could put it in the pool, we could yeah. redo the kitchen. I said that. All of that and now we are on the verge of losing the house. If we lose the house, well then Billy loses all sense of security and later on never be able to have a relationship. So he just spend his whole life just alone. Just there he'll be, just alone. Nobody with him, just like a bum. Huh? Like a hun. Yeah. You need a paper bag?
0: We are in the midst of probably one of the worst economic crises in a long time. And so one of the things that we struggle with is being able to trust in the Lord and Him and Him alone rather than ourselves for the answers. Well, we've been working through our series on finding success in an economic mess, and uh, we're going to finish up that series today. I have bad news for you because uh, we're not going to be giving out tens of thousands of dollars built. Well, there's no such thing as that. $100 $100 bills to everybody, um, tens of thousands of dollars to, to give you success in your economic mess, if you're in that situation, as most of us are. Instead, um, I'm going to be talking about something that, uh, in your heart, you're going to want to boo. You're gonna, today, you're going to be like, boo, pastor, you know, boo, I don't like this message, right? Well, that's okay, because uh, it's in the Bible, and so I have no hard feelings about sharing it. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be easy. And uh, it's not easy for me, and it's not going to be easy for you as well. Let's, well, let's just right get down to it this morning. Our four-week series, has been on uh, the subtext, has been on understanding success. And the reason why this is the subtext is because in our world, we define success oftentimes by how much money that we have or how many possessions that we have, what kind of car we drive, um, what kind of clothing that we wear. That is oftentimes the way we measure success. But as we've ta- been talking about the last couple of weeks, That no one, by the world's definition of success, which means money or possessions, that no one is truly successful. And the reason why, as you all know, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, is because on the day of your death, you have no more possessions, you have no more money, and on that day, everyone, by the world's standard, is an abject failure. From Bill Gates all the way down to little old me and you, we are an abject failure. So if we want to look at success, and the Bible talks about success, right? It talks about us running the race so as to win it. If we want to be successful in a long-term way, if we want to be successful in an eternal way, then our definition of success has to be different than the world's definition of success. It has to be a biblical definition of success. So we're going to be talking about that and finishing this up um, this morning. Well, let's talk about our strategy first week we talked about learning to work backwards real quickly, and the first week we talked about the fact that all of us have something, right? We tend to focus on what we don't have, what we think we need, what we want, what we need, those things that are missing in our lives, but instead we talked about the need to start with what we have because all of us have things, and those things, and by the way, things don't necessarily mean possessions. We have maybe a family. We have maybe a relationship with God. We have maybe hope that something will be different in our lives, we have uh, our, our ability to work, we have these things that are in our lives, and those are the things that we can build on, those are things that no one can take away from us, those are things that we can transform and turn into something meaningful. So we talked about instead of focusing on what we don't have, focusing instead on what we do have, and then making something of that. The second week we talked about major versus minor assets, and we talked about the fact that money is a minor asset. Now, I know that we live in a world where people say you know cash is king and you know money is the end-all and be-all, but I gave lots of reasons uh, two weeks ago why money is a minor asset. I'll just share one or two as an example now. But money is nothing that you hold on to because money is something that you use to get something else. That right there makes it a minor asset. You're just using it to get something else. The problem is, is that we use it to get what? Well, we use it to buy things, but we would like to be able to use it to do what? To be happy have a life of significance, a life of meaning, right? I mean, if you could go down to the mall and you could buy a brand new outfit or you could buy happiness, real happiness for one day, which one would you buy? Same price. Well, we would all choose the second, right? We would choose true happiness. And the reason is we use money to try to get the things that are major and more important. But if we just start with the major assets and don't worry about the minor assets, then our lives will be much more content and much more joyous. So we talked about the difference between major and minor assets. Obviously, relationship with God, the Bible says, is a major asset. It is something that will transform and change our lives, and that when we have relationship with Him, then we're not relying on ourselves, but we're relying on Him to provide what we need. We're going to develop that a little bit more today. Last week, we talked about the secret timing. And we talked about the fact that in our economic situation, that everything seems to be related to timing. I mean, we talked about that if we had just not bought our house two years ago, if we had bought it like 10 years ago, or if we had waited until it crashed and we bought it this year, that things would have been so much easier, right? And we didn't time the market right. And everybody's about timing. Buy this stock now. Buy gold. Gold's going up. Gold is what you need. Did you, can you believe gold's over $1,000? Gold is what you need, right? And so we, we are tempted to get into this rhythm, to get in, it's not even a rhythm, but to get in this uh, over and over this cycle, is a better word, cycle of buying and trying to time our way out of things. But the Bible tells us that if we want to find real success, whether it be in something minor like finances, all the way to something major like our relationship with God, that it comes how? Does it come by a get-rich-quick scheme as we talked about last week? Or does it come by us working each and every day, little bit by little bit, to grow in relationship with God, even finances? It's better to invest five bucks a day into our retirement than try to time the market and buy something and get rich quick and try to, you know, sort of make our lives better and hope that that will be our retirement. It doesn't usually work. It doesn't usually work because get-rich-quick schemes have been around for uh, since humanity has been around, and uh, it's not really worked for 99% of the people. And if you're like me and you have my luck, it won't work for you, right? I, I almost dare to ask, I didn't ask this last week, but I was almost interested to see if it's ever worked for anybody, really. If a get-rich-quick scheme had ever really worked for anybody. But then I, my, 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 my issue about asking that question would be is I fear somebody would say, yes, yes, it worked for me, and, but we don't know, like, the whole story, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, last week's Secret of Time. And all right, this week we're going to talk about the hope of recovery because, of course, recovery is something that we talk about all the time um, in our world. We, we hear it on the news, CNBC, CNN, Fox News, whatever you prefer. It's all over um, the place, the hope of recovery. Um, and so, the good news is the Bible has something to say about our recovery. Um, it's not a worldly suggestion, but it is a biblical suggestion and we're going to talk about how that occurs this morning. Uh, and by the way, you are going to boo me, and I know that, so it's fine. So I'm just going to tell you right now in advance because you're going to be like, Pastor, I can't do that. can't do that. Okay, let's see what the Bible says. Here's the problem. The, for this series, this uh, unique series on economics, um, we decided to start, or I decided to start each week with a problem just to put it in context. So each week I've started with a problem, and then we work towards the solution. So let's talk about what the problem is. Here's the problem. We worry too much about money because money is a minor asset. We worry too much about it. I mean, we spend a lot of our time worrying about how to pay the bills, how we're going to afford this, how we're going to afford that. We worry so much about money that if we could take all the anxiety and all the energy that we use worrying about money, it seems like to me it would power a, um, well, at least one of these little substations here in San Jose, right, um, instead of solar power. Or wind power, let's forget that. Let's use anxiety over finances power. And the world uh, would be green pretty quick, right? Maybe it would power the Death Star. It would power something super because we spend so much time, we spend so much anxiety, so much energy trying to power, well, trying to worry and trying to fix and trying to fret over our um, financial situation. Let's see what the Bible says. Um, this is a parable that we looked at a little bit um, Uh, A couple weeks ago, we're going to look at more detail this morning. All right, so this is what Jesus is saying here. Uh, It's from Matthew. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. This is Jesus speaking. Whether you have enough food and drink, and he's speaking, by the way, to followers, believers in him, or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of non-believers, right? But your Heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And that's true, right? Because every day is a day of trouble in the world that we, broken world that we live in. When we worry, we give money power over us. This is the reason why we must stop worrying about money. Because ultimately, we give money power over us when we worry about things. The problem is, is that because of the broken world that we live in, because of our sinfulness, because of our struggle in this world, it is natural for us to fear. It is natural for us to have anxiety. It's natural for us... Um, To worry about things that are outside of our control But the problem is When we worry about something that we cannot control We are giving power over it Let me give you an example How many of you worry about leprechauns? I worry a lot about leprechauns I do I'm, I'm like so worried I mean like what if they come in the house when I'm sleeping What if I stumble on their pot of gold by mistake And they're not very happy with me, right? I mean, I worry about leprechauns all the time. Don't you? How many of you worry about leprechauns? Come on, be honest with me. No one? Am, am I the only one here that worries about leprechauns? Okay. Now, for me to worry about leprechauns, you would say, would be what? Many of you would use the word what? Foolish, right? Silly, right? Because, first of all, leprechauns, we think, don't exist, Right? But even more than that, they don't really seem to matter much in the grand scheme of things. You know, we could almost say that leprechauns, in fact, don't exist in almost the same way that money doesn't exist either. Now, we did our series about eight months ago on money and talked about the fact how, you know, it's just paper anyway. It's not even on the gold standard or anything else like that anymore, right? So it's just, it can go up, it can go down, it can do anything. It's almost worthless. It's just a way of trading And so the thing is, is that we end up worrying about something that is a minor asset in our lives that would seem almost silly to God. I mean, you think about it, because we get up in the morning and we fret over little pieces of paper. How silly must that seem to God? When he says that if you trust in me and you believe in me, that I will take care of all of your needs. And that's a promise from him. And yet he sees us get up in the morning and take out these little green pieces of paper and just, oh, can I get more green pieces of paper? I'm really worried about these green pieces of paper. We can worry about green leprechauns. We can worry about green pieces of paper. But when we worry about these things, it gives power over them. You know, I might be so afraid of leprechauns that I'm afraid to go out of the house lest I bump into their pot of gold and they be mad with me, right? So what do I do? I change my life out of worry and anxiety and fear of bumping into a leprechaun. Of course, this is a totally silly example, and I know, but we also regularly change our lives because we worry about what? Finances, right? We worry about money, and we change our lives to do what? Instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, focusing instead on little green pieces of paper. That, by the way, when we pass from this world, as Ecclesiastes said, we'll just go to people who could care less about us or about our money, and they'll just use it for whatever reason they want to use. Maybe, maybe not your kids. That I don't know. But the thing is, is that when we we worry, we give money power over us, power it doesn't want to have. Listen, do you want to have someone or something have power over you? You know, I don't know if I should share this, so I'll to share this in the first service, and then I'll think about it in the second or third service. But my mother, um, because she is um, uh, not a spring chicken anymore, let's put it that way, um, she is, you know, has been putting her, her issues in order, and one of the things she did was she just as a legal course of action in case something happened to her, she set up power of attorney over her for her sons in case anything happened, okay? Um, And so uh, being uh, my two brothers, um, they were like, okay, cool, mom, you know, whatever, if anything happens to you, you know, we'll we'll make sure that whatever needs to be done needs to be done, and that was the end of it. Now with me, because I'm more of the smart aleck one, a lot of times when I see her and we're like... So, where do you want to go to dinner? And she's like, Well, I want to go to Italian night. And I said, Well, I really, I'd like to, you know, go get hamburgers or something like that. And she's like, Well, come on, let's do Italian. I'm like, Listen, I have power of attorney over you. So just leave me alone. We're going to go get hamburgers, right? (laughs) And uh, she doesn't like that a whole lot when I kid with her about that, right? And so, of course, it's just very good nature kidding. That's all it is. But you know what? The thing is, is that if I were to have power of attorney over you, or you were to have power of attorney over me, or someone we don't know were to have power of attorney over you, or just power in general over you, how would that make you feel? Would you like that? If some random person came to you off the street and said, listen, I want to have power over you, and I'm going to have power over you, and I, by the way, I do have power over you, you would feel so angry because of that. And then, by the way, you would worry and you would have anxiety, right? And the reason is is because when we worry about something, we are basically saying and admitting that that something has power over us. Now, I know this, I'm, I'm just bringing out the hypocrite light right now, you know, me too, just put the big flashing light here too, because, you know, I live in the world too, and we struggle, I struggle with finances, our family struggles with finances, and it's very easy to worry about finances and to worry about money. But the more we do, the more power we are investing in our money, and it's not the good kind of power. Again, let me just be clear, because if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this is what God is saying to you very, very clearly. The Bible says, and I, I read this a little bit earlier, why worry about your clothing? Look at lilies of the field. If God cares, so what, don't worry about all these things, saying what we eat, what we drink, because we are to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough trouble for one day, right? And so the thing is, is that God is calling us, if we are believers, to seek his kingdom first above all else. What does that mean and live righteously? What that means is do what God is calling you to do. Do what God is calling you to do, and do not give power over anything that you have to anything else other than to him. Because he is the only one that you can trust to have power over your life. You know, I'm a parent, I have a three-year-old, and I have a six, well, I don't know, eight months old, right? And uh, if someone came to me and said, hey, pastor, can I have power over your kids? I would say, "Uh, no, you may not have power over my kids. And by the way, those would be fighting words, right? And yet, when we worry about money, we are giving the power of our lives over to money rather than God. And my friends, that is a sad thing. You know why it's sad? It's sad because we are no longer seeking what God wants us to do in our lives and living under the power of money. Under the power of money. Worrying means that we don't really trust God as well. Now, this, I know this, you're not going to like this, but it's the truth. And it's something that I've had to deal with a lot in my life because, you know, if God really is in control of our lives, And if God really loves us enough that he will will not only give us salvation, but that he will be concerned about what we wear and what we eat, as the Bible tells us, that when we worry about things, that we're saying, in effect, that we don't trust you, God. That's what we're saying. Because if he will give everything that we need, then what more is there to have in this world? Oh, well, of course the fringe benefits, right? And that's where it gets us into problems, because we want more, right? We all want more. I want more. Look, I go to Santana Row. I see the beautiful things there. Don't think in my heart, I don't want them. I know you want them. We all want them. That's because of the world that we live in. But God is saying, listen, there is more important things than the pretty things of this world, than the material possessions that will be beautiful today. And will fade and wither and die in the future. Now again, we're not talking about, I'm not saying come to church wearing nothing. I'm not saying go down to the homeless shelter and get your clothes there. Although, there's nothing wrong with that. But, worrying means that we don't really trust God. You know what? When I was in college, I knew a lady from New Zealand. And literally, she owned nothing. She owned nothing. And she would go around, she was a, a missionary, and she, I mean, I guess that was her title, um, and she would go around to different places, and she would serve uh, as a missionary, you know, at different Christian uh, facilities. Basically, uh, she'd be everything from cleaning the bathrooms, if that's what the place needed her to do, to teach a Bible studies, to whatever the case may be. And I thought, how crazy, right? She, that's crazy. I mean, how could you not know? I mean, it was like, almost like, you know, sort of the Wizard of Oz sort of thing, that whenever, you know, the tornado would strike, she would just move somewhere else in life. And, um, but you know what? I realized as life went on that it's very freeing. Because I came to a realization when I was in seminary, and it's something that I've tried to hold on to very carefully. But we are held captive by what we own. We are. We are. We are. You know what? If God called me tomorrow to become a missionary to the Philippines just for argument's sake, and I don't act all sad, but if God called me tomorrow, my first thing would be, but God, how am I going to get my leather sofa over to the Philippines? You know what I mean? Now it's not a nice leather sofa, but it's the one that I've grown comfortable with. You know? We rescued it out of Storage bins and uh, uh, what do you call those things? Those portable storage units in uh, the Bronx or something. When we were living in New York City, that's all we could afford. But it was it was ours, you know what I mean. And now we like it. It's comfortable, you know. And how am I going to get that over to the Philippines? What about all my stuff, all my books, right? Guitars, things that I really care about. Those possessions. How would I ever get them over to the Philippines or China? or wherever God is calling me to be a missionary at. The problem is that we worry about those things. We worry about our money, we worry about our possessions, and we become enslaved to them if we're not careful. The Bible says in Psalm 127, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Isn't an ironic? Isn't it ironic that the same thing that we bust our rear ends for day in and day out, the Bible promises that God will give to us? Now, let me be very clear here, because I'm not saying, and I'm going to repeat this later, I'm not saying give up your job and stop working. No, no. The Bible says we need to work. Working's important. Working's good for us. Having a job is a biblical thing. If you don't have a job, well, I don't want to say it like that because we're a terrible time right now, but... Having a job is a good thing. When you can get a job, get one, hold on to it, it's a good thing, okay? Whether it be part-time, full-time, we're not going to debate that here, all right? But working is is a valuable thing. But at the same time, if we're working so as to make money, so as to get green pieces of paper to make ourselves feel good, then we are working for what? All the wrong reasons, right? Right? All the wrong reasons. Hey, okay. So I'm going to tell you what. Here's the deal. We've been trying to increase our staff here at BBC for the last, you know, since I've come. Um, and we've had a different number of staff for the last couple of years. And um, uh, we would really like to hire a full-time uh, administrator. I mean, Addy does a great job, but it would be nice to hire a full-time administrator. So if anybody wants that job, please let me know. Give me your resume. We're going to pay in gold stars, and for every hour you work, you're going to get 10 gold stars, okay? Sounds like a good deal, right? How many of you want to send in your resume? Come on. Give me your resume. I know you want to give it to me, right? But you don't. Why not? I don't see anybody jumping up with their resume right now. Come on. Why not? Because you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to work if I'm going to just get gold stars. Does that come with... Uh, benefits or not, do you think, right? We don't want to work for gold stars. Why don't we want to work for gold stars? Because gold stars have no meaning. We can't do anything with gold stars. But might I submit to you that green pieces of paper, you can't do anything really meaningful if it just stops and ends there. Again, if our life is just about the money, then we are beholden to it, we are trapped with it we have nowhere to go let's talk about the solution here's the solution two ideas we must be content with our life now this is the part you're going to boo me about because contentment is absolutely critical for believers that we must be content with our life see this is the difficult thing because we live in a world that markets stuff and money to you incessantly and the me too I mean, I almost think that if, you know, yeah, I like indoor plumbing. Do you like indoor plumbing? Yeah, you like indoor plumbing, right? Um, but if we, like, went back a couple hundred years, it would be easier, right? Because there wouldn't, you know, if you had one piece of clothing, and you had a horse, and you had a little piece of land, and you had a cow for milk, and you had a few goats for food, then you'd be ha- and some chickens, you'd be happy, right? I mean, that's really, seriously. Go back a couple hundred years, a piece of land, a roof, well, let's not even talk about sides, just a roof, um, a cow, some chickens, some goats, maybe a couple cows would be nice, let's lust after what our neighbors have, a couple cows, right? Uh, one set of clothing, shoes, right, and family, and you're good, you know, when you go to the market. You know, there's this strange thing called chocolate that they sell a little bit and it's like one penny and you think, Oh, I could buy that one penny, right? I don't know. And the thing is is that contentment was a lot easier perhaps, although I don't think it was truly, but because I think there was issues even then with contentment. But today we are even more so inundated with the lack of contentment. I mean if you don't have whatever the newest product is, you're not happy. You're not successful. By the way, I don't have a problem per se with marketing. Um, marketing, is, is, it is what it is. Um, but at the same time, we are constantly being told that you are not happy unless you have whatever the person is selling. And the problem is we don't have enough money to buy every single thing. But even more importantly, we set ourselves up to be enslaved by this because we worry about what? From the very first week, we worry about what we don't have. We worry about what we think we want. We worry about what we think we need rather than worrying about, God, how can I build up your kingdom? Now, seriously, just wait a minute. Seriously, how many of us wake up in the morning and the first thing we think about is our bills and how we're going to pay for things and our money and that sort of thing? Now, how many of us wake up in the morning, okay, you, you you know, if you're like Ramirez, and you're independently wealthy you know you're really your your last name is really gates and not ramirez right okay forget that for you folks right but um how many of us wake up in the morning and say okay god what am i supposed to do with the rest of my life god what do you want me to do with my life how can i build up the kingdom how can i live righteously see it starts with being content let's break this down real quickly here The Bible says this, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That is the biblical definition of great wealth, is being content with what you have. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. You know, again, i got to tell you, um, just in my experience in life, and you can disagree with me all you want, but in my experience with life, um, I know several people who are very wealthy, and they fight about things that just seem beyond the kin of anything I could imagine. You know, they fight about whether the, their toilet bowl holder thing, the, the, you know, the squeegee thing that you clean it with, it should be gold-plated or silver-plated, you know or maybe it should be pewter rather than wh- whatever you know and i just think why do you have anxiety over that issue now the ladies may say oh pastor you're insensitive to the way the house looks but there are plenty of other things as well it seems like that the more that we worry about money and then the more rich we become because of it that we just go from worrying about stuff to falling into the temptation of believing that our our money is going to be the solution to our lives, is going to be what makes us happy, what makes us successful. So here's the problem. It's sort of like you're stuck on either side. Contentment frees us from financial slavery. That's basically what it is because we all like to use the word when we go to work that we're enslaved to our boss, we're enslaved to our job, right? Because none of you can, well, I'll say none of you, 99% of you, myself included, can't give up your job tomorrow and just say, oh, you know, I don't care if I work tomorrow, right? We have to go to work because we ultimately are enslaved, most of us, to the system that we live in a system of earning, 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 and a system of buying, buying, buying. I'm not saying don't earn, and I'm not saying don't buy. But what I am suggesting is is that if we are in a cycle, if we are caught up in a cycle of earning and for the sake of buying, then there's probably a problem somewhere there. Somewhere God needs to be at the center of our lives and not peripheral to it. I can promise you this. This I can make a promise on. If money is your center of your universe and you live based upon what you earn and what you can buy, you will never find joy or contentment in, in this world. It will not happen. Because we all know, I mean, look, you go ask people on the, you go ask, where's Ramir? He's not in here. Okay, he'll be in here next service. But if, if he was in here, he and I could go on the, the the train, and we could say, money camp, and everybody would go,
1: buy me love,
0: right? And they would sing it, you know. Because we all know that. But yet we do that. Right? We try to buy love with money. We try to buy things, but yet we are basically enslaving ourselves to our finances. I almost wish, there are some days, and yeah, I know you guys think I'm off my rocker, but there's some days I wish I own nothing. Okay, there we go. So I'm not totally off my rocker. You know why? Because ultimately we're trapped by what we own. We're trapped by those things. If God calls us to do something a little bit radical, we will say no because of the stuff that we own and our middle class sensibilities which betray us when it comes to serving God first and foremost in our lives. We just need to be wise without giving into to worry. I'm kind of stepping around here this morning, but because I don't want anyone to think that I'm not saying don't work. I don't want anybody to think I'm not saying don't go and buy, go to the grocery store and buy food because that's you got to do that. But ultimately worry and contentment go together. Because when we worry about our finances, it's impossible for us to be what? Content about where God has placed us. When we worry about things, we are giving power over to it and contentment is the opposite of power, right? We are saying, if we are content with what we have, we are saying that God is in control of our lives and that we are happy where he's put us in this day and this place. Now, let me mention this, because here's the thing. This doesn't mean we don't work hard and improve our career. Some of you may say, Pastor, well, you know, I'm an IT guy at this company. If I get a chance for a raise, do I, I? you're saying I don't go for it? No, absolutely not. Go for it, right? Work hard. The Bible, the, the whole book of Proverbs is all about... I mean, there's two or three major themes, but one of them is working, right? Putting in an honest day's worth of work because it's good for us to do that. It's good for us. Now, I'm not talking about working 120 hours a week, okay, for some of you. Actually, you're not the ones who probably do that. They're the ones who come to church once every blue moon and tell me they're too busy to come the rest of the time. I know who they are, okay? But also for you guys, don't work 150 hours a week. Again, let the hypocrite light come on. Here I am right here, workaholic. Just ask my wife. But it doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean if, if, if our company comes to us and says, hey, you want to be a vice president? Sure. You know, I'll be a VP. It's not Globodyne, which was Enron, by the way, if you guys remember that. That's what that movie's about. But what it does mean is that we do not allow The worries of this world to overtake God's mission in our lives. That's what it means. Second idea very quickly here this morning is that we must trust God in every part of our lives. See, this is the problem that we come into because God wants our trust in Him. If you are a believer here this morning, if you've committed your life to God through Jesus Christ, then you didn't say, look God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus but it's not going to affect parts of my life. If you did, it would basically make your commitment almost null and void, right? It would be like me getting married and me saying, "Noel, I commit my life to you, but I don't commit my finances to you. You can't have any of my money, baby, right? <laughs> hey, would she marry me? No, she wants the money, right? No, hell No. <laughs> But but she wouldn't. I mean, I don't, you know, she definitely is not a materialistic uh, person, but uh, I'm more materialistic than her. But, um, no, the, the thing is, is that it's funny, but seriously, we would not say to our spouse, I- I'll marry you, but you can't have any of my money, right? It's almost like, you know, that prenuptial thing, you know, talking about people who, you know, are wealthy, and then they have wealthy people problems, and it pulls them away from God, right? And, and the thing is, is that, we cannot be believers and have a prenuptial agreement with the Lord. Right? I mean, we can't say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you and you alone as my Savior, but you can't have my money, you can't have my leather sofa, you can't have my books, you can't have my guitars, you can't have my job, you can't have my career, you can't have any of those things, because those are for me. Let's have a Just a very basic lesson here about Jesus' work in our lives. We come to church and we call Jesus a redeemer, a savior. What does that mean? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. A redeemer is someone who does what? Takes something that is worthless and makes it worthwhile. A savior is someone who does what? Takes something out of the trash and saves it right? Well, here's the thing, is that whatever we don't trust fully and completely in God is not redeemable. It's not redeemable. You know, there's certain, you know, when I go to the store at Costco, and I'll buy, like, some of the sodas, you know, the root beers or the, you know, the different uh, Izzy's or whatever it is, um, uh, and, uh, and I'll drink them and for lunch and dinner and whatever, and it's cheaper there because you buy it by the case, right? And the thing that sometimes torques me off is that, you know, I'll get one home and I'll pay like, uh, I don't know, some, you know, the CRV fee or whatever. And some of them, when you get home, they're not redeemable, even though you pay the CRV fee, I think. I'm pretty sure I've, I've, there's one bottle out there like that, right? And, it, and I'm like, well, why am I paying this fee if I can't redeem it? And it makes me frustrated, right? Because it's not redeemable. I can't get some money out. Of it. I believe that nothing frustrates God more than someone who says, God, I want to know you and I want to love you and I want to have a relationship with you, but I am holding all this stuff back and you can't redeem it. Because he's like, hey, just give it to me and I will redeem it. Give it to me and I will redeem it, but yet we hold on to it. And whatever we hold on to, he cannot redeem. And here's my fear. My fear is, and I know, not necessarily BBC, but look, there is a lot of churches and there's a lot of people here in the United States, and I'll just pick on you know, Western people just for a second, but here in the U.S., and uh, you know, a lot of money and a lot of success, and we just hold it all to ourselves, and God is not able to redeem it because we're worried. We're worried rather than trusting in the Lord. You know, I have to tell you, I mean, I don't want to speak in this situation, but I have to say that most Christians I meet, and I'm just going to speak off the top of my head so I can't give you a percentage, but most Christians I meet who go through some type of economic collapse usually are like, my relationship with the Lord is much better now than it was before. Why do you think they say that? Now, you may not feel that way today because... We have sort of have this weird collapse today, you know, because it's like the bottom hadn't hit, I don't think, or I don't know, see it, you know, different people debate different things, but why do you think they say that? They say that because they realize that their life is not the value of their bank account. And they're more willing to trust God than ever in their lives. By the way, that's someone who faced a total collapse, not someone who just had their 401K a little bit down because I don't think that's enough to, to, to change someone's perspective on life. You know, there's at least a couple rich people I know who I really wish, and I don't pray this because I don't feel like it's my right to pray this, but I really wish that God would would strike them financially down. I do. Now again, I don't pray this, but I wish this. You know why I wish this? Because I think it will be the only way that God will get their attention. And make them realize that their money is not what matters. That it's something else in life that really matters. We must trust God in every part of it. Here's what the Bible says. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. Boy, this this is America if there ever was one. Silicon Valley right here. Because we work and we work and we work and we die and, you know, we heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And So, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Remember, the Bible means, the word hope means confidence. So we're putting our confidence and our trust in God and that he is the one who can transform our lives. Why work for something if God promises to provide for it? I asked that earlier, but isn't it ironic? If God promises to provide for it, why do we we worry, worry, worry about what we're going to do and what we're going to get when when God promises that he's going to take care of it? You know, the friend of mine from New Zealand that I mentioned, I mean, you know, maybe she's lying, but, I mean, she told me that she's never wanted for anything in her adult life. She was in her 40s, 40, like 45 at the time I met her, so. I mean, that's a good 20 years. I mean, that's a pretty freeing lifestyle. Yeah, maybe a little weird by our middle-class sensibilities. I understand that. But a freeing lifestyle because it's all about being able to serve God rather than serving ourselves. Again, doesn't mean we just stop working, but it means that our work transforms itself because our work and our career is redeemable. Can God redeem your career? Can God redeem your work environment? He can. He absolutely can. But again, it requires us to put our trust in Him rather than doing it ourselves. Let me just finish up here with one last idea. The only hope for recovery is to turn it all over to God. For us to be able to recover, it requires us to turn it all over to God. You know, we live in a world where, especially in a bear market, the idea that we are going to hold on to it, the, that, that we get and pull it in, and we take it, we use it for our needs, and, you know, we got to get the money, and we got to have the green, because we got to pay the bills, and all this stuff, ultimately, if the Bible is true, it's a facade. It's a facade because it keeps you worrying. And the more you worry and the more you fret and the more issues you have, then the more it takes your eyes off the Lord. Now, I know there's a percentage of you, a small percentage of you, who don't worry about finances because God's blessed you a whole lot in that area. And if that's you, then it's a different kind of conversation because God still needs to redeem your finances as well. You need to be able to give, and you need to be able to use that money to build up the kingdom, period. No excuses on that, okay? But I'm not talking to you right now. Most of us are in the boat of struggling financially. Most of us struggle with it, and the struggle is ruining our relationship with God. The struggle keeps us from having the relationship with God that He wants to have with us, and it keeps us from having the hope and the confidence that God can do it in our lives. So this is a question I have to ask you. Are you confident, which is what biblical hope is, are you confident that if you turn over your finances to God, that he will solve the problem? Because if you're not, he can't do anything with it. You've got to be able to turn it over to him first if you want recovery to come into your life. You've got to be able to make it redeemable, make it saveable before God can do anything with it. I know it's hard. I like that leather sofa. Believe me, I don't want God to have that leather sofa. I really don't. I don't want Him to have that sofa. But you know what? If I want it to be redeemable, I've got to give got to give it to Him. I got to give it to him i do not have any choice. i got to give it to Him. Are you guys ready to give it to Him? Are you guys ready to stop working for the money and to start working for the Lord? Don't say yes if you don't mean it. You're in church. Don't lie in church. Okay? Think about it. Let's pray. God, we're just going to come before you right now, Lord. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands because I know this is difficult and I know it's not easy. But, God, I know that there's some here today who would say, yes, God, I I want my finances to be redeemable. I want recovery. I'm not talking about bailout. I'm talking about the Lord doing something awesome in my life. God, we just want you to be our God, and we want you to redeem us. We don't want to worry anymore about finances. Father, I pray that you would take away the worry from us. Lord, that you would take away those, the struggle that we have. Father, that you would help us as we seek you in all things. God, I pray this morning for our finances, for everyone, Lord. I pray for those who are out of work. I pray for those who uh, are facing foreclosure. Lord, I pray for those in our church who are struggling with finances. Lord, may you not make it a worry, not make it a concern. Father, may you do what's right in our lives and redeem the situation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.